preached out of this text last week, and uh, I did send out an email if anybody wasn't here to listen to it online. It's, it's uh, part one. This is part two. There'll be another part to come, maybe even two more. But I'm going to read just to streamline a little bit. Verse 42. Jackie, could you go to 42? Oh, who's there? Alfredo? If we can start in verse 42. God's providence. Okay. Would you follow along with me? As they went out, or I should say, as Paul and Barnabas went out of the synagogue, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Let's end there. Verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask you to breathe upon the text. Give us understanding of appointed to eternal life. God, who are we? What's life all about? Who are you, oh God? Who's your son? What's creation all about? Teach us today, Father God, in Jesus' precious and holy name. Appointed to eternal life. Ordained to eternal life. Also known as the doctrine of election. 20 years ago, me and my wife walked into a doctor's office, and uh, she had taken just a, a small operation the week before. Everything went fine, but as they were there, they found something that we had no idea was there, and that was cancer. And the diagnosis was grim, and it's interesting because nothing could prepare you for it. And I remember saying, but there's no symptoms. There's no fatigue. There was nothing there. All we had to go by was the doctor's diagnosis. You know, and the treatment was is hard. The treatment's hard, but there was hope. And so we had to just follow the prescriptions, and we had to follow the diagnosis, and we had to go through it. And 20 years later, as you see, my wife is still here. Praise the God. diagnosis, she was married to me, and it was a grim diagnosis. <laughs> But I proved everybody wrong. I share that because receiving a diagnosis is a numbing thing. All reality stops. 
Anything you were worrying about prior to hearing you got cancer is gone. You're not caring about the five pounds you want to lose. You're not caring about losing your hair. You don't care about the job. There is nothing that enters into the equation at that point when you get a grim diagnosis. And where do you go from there? When we speak about what the Bible talks about election, and as we see in our text today, those who were ordained to eternal life believe. Many people have a hard time with this. They don't understand. They have a hard time receiving what the Bible says. And just like many people don't receive a diagnosis when it comes, as I was preparing for this lesson, I, I, I was with a friend the other day. I've known him for a while, and he shakes. And he finally confided in me that, you know, six years ago he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. He was only 56. He was 50 years old at the time. So, you know, I was, I was as sensitive as I could be. But I did ask him. I said, you know, by your spirit, I can tell like, you've totally accepted something. He's a jolly human being. He's filled with life. And he said it wasn't that way for the first three to four years. Getting used to a severe diagnosis, he said, was not hard because I've learned to accept it and to move on and, and so on and so forth. And I use that because to understand what Paul is saying here or what Luke is saying here or ordained to eternal life, sin is a serious diagnosis. Many Christians don't understand the depth and depravity of human sin. Many Christians just think that all I needed was a little help by God. Remember when we were kids, we used to play uh, stickball or wiffle ball, and the ball would get up on the roof, and you could almost reach the top if you were tall enough, but for most of us, we needed a boost. And we put our hands together, and you put your foot in there, and you help them up to the top and get the ball. And uh, many people think that salvation is just God given a boost. You're almost there. If you were tall enough, you might be able to make it into heaven. If you just had a a boost. The Bible doesn't give any picture like that. The Bible is straightforward. The Bible is insightful. The Bible gives us the root of the problem. Human beings are totally depraved in their heart. The Apostle Paul says, nothing good dwells in me. Jesus says, only one is good, and that's God alone. So severe, so clear, and so strong is the teaching that many Christians shudder at the thought of God's electing love. And the reason why many have a hard time with this is because they really haven't taken to heart the diagnosis that we're dead in trespasses and sins. We're not alive spiritually at all. At all. The diagnosis usually comes after you're saved. And as time goes on as a Christian, as my friend who has Parkinson's, he had to come to grips with the severity of his disease 
and get a new perspective on life. I'm going to read something here from a, a book on dealing with a scary diagnosis. It's by a doctor that had struggled with three bouts of different kinds of cancer and a severe heart disease, a psychologist who went on to write a book about life-threatening and scary diagnoses. And they give six tips or hints on how to overcome these things. And the last one is be open to a positive change in perspective. My friend who struggled deeply with this Parkinson's, who went on, who's living a, a, a prosperous life right now, a joyous life, even under a hard diagnosis, told me he had his whole perspective had to change if he was going to enjoy the rest of his life, knowing that he has such a debilitating uh, diagnosis. The prognosis is not good. We all understand that. There's medications that slow it up and so forth. But he enjoys his life. I enjoy being with him. He brings a lot to the table. He's not a believer, but he brings a lot to the table because his perspective had to change. It took a while. For many Christians, spiritually, their perspective needs to change when it comes to understanding the severity of the sin nature. Again, Jesus Christ didn't come to help us, give us that boost to heaven. Without Christ coming and God calling us, we would be born in sin, we would live in sin, and guess what? We'd die in our sins. God did something extraordinary that the Bible here in our verse tonight says, and those who were ordained to eternal life, they believed. And I'll get into the text as we go on and what Luke was trying to get to over here. But to understand this, and I wanted to take today and maybe even next week to understand this, that total depravity, that human nature is so sinful, that means... Not that we act as sinful as we could, but the faculty of mind, are you with me? The intellect is fallen into sin. We can't reason like God can. The will cannot act the way God ordained the will to act. And the emotions or the feelings also have betrayed us. Every area of the soul saturated with sin. That humanity is spiritually dead to the one true God. Now, why not teach you this? I'm learning something about my own witness to the world. I don't talk about heaven anymore. I don't talk about hell. As a matter of fact, I don't even talk about God. I don't even talk about Jesus. You know what I talk about? The God of the Bible. I don't talk about men's opinions anymore. I don't talk about what people think about God. Everything I know, Brian Martin, knows about God is the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of my Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know nothing about God. At all. Jesus Christ had to take Brian Martin and the Bible and introduce me to the one true living God that presides over my opinions and my feelings and my family's opinions and my family's feelings and the culture's feelings and the culture's opinions and I had to come to the one true perspective. Who is this God of the Bible that Jesus calls Father? Because that's who my God is now. The God I grew up in in Catholic school had to go. Things I learned in AA had to go. 
all these opinions and thoughts of man all had to go. And I had to get my understanding of the one true God, the Lord, the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, from the Scriptures. Are you with me? Amen. I bring nothing to the table about God. I'm spiritually dead. I might have a good feeling about God, but we're not talking about feelings. We're talking about who God is. When it comes to the question, is there a God? Many believe, you know that. When it comes to religion, many profess. When it comes to following certain religious laws, many try to do their best. When it comes to eternity, many believe in something. We all know that. People believe in something. When it comes to total obedience from the heart towards the Creator who created men in His image to worship Him, to love Him, and to obey Him with all their heart, strength, soul, and mind and be loyal to Him and no other, there is not one human being. Can you believe that diagnosis? That's the Bible's diagnosis. Not one. Not one human being. Not one human being. Listen, grandma, grandpa, mommy, daddy, our children, the little three ones running around. Not one human being. Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. You feel like you're sitting in that office with me and my wife that day here in the the diagnosis. Do we take our head and we put it in the sand, the proverbial sand, and say it's not that bad? No, no, I don't have to go through six months of chemo. No, no, it's, it's going to be okay. I don't feel bad. I don't feel that bad. We don't feel bad. Everything's okay. Well, look, we're healthy. The doctors say no. We, the test reveal. Brian, mankind's not that bad. The scriptures reveal. Can't fight the scriptures. It's only the scriptures that give us insight into ourself as a creature. If you want to study human nature, you can study the philosophers, and you can study the sociologist, anthropologist. They all bring something wonderful to the table. But if you want to know the spiritual aspect of mankind, there's only one place to get it, And that's the scriptures. Even when God approaches them, listen, this is how bad human nature is. Even when God, no, no, let me back. Even when God prepares a people, say, a whole nation. And then when God comes and visits his own people, And he goes into their own synagogue. And he heals the leper. And he heals the blind. Guess what they did? They nailed him to a tree. That's how bad human nature is. Unless God does something in the heart, that's the best mankind can do. We see that in our text tonight. The Bible uses certain metaphors and similes to make its point clear about the diagnosis. One word is called dead, spiritually. 
There's not much more we can add to it. Another one says we're in darkness. Another one says the diagnosis is that we're blind. Another one says we're stiff-necked and prideful and arrogant. Another one says we're rebels. Another one says we're children of Satan. Another one says we're haters of God. And the greatest indictment is that we're actually enemies of God. When are you going to get a diagnosis like that? I could never have ever believed that in my entire life until I became a Christian. And God started giving me understanding of human nature, specifically my own. Just like that day when I went into the office and we heard that news, it was like this sort of, you get caught up and it's like, it's a surreal moment. But we we feel good, we're healthy. I'm looking at a healthy young woman. Don't tell me she's dying. You can't say that. We're healthy people. Don't tell me I'm totally depraved. Don't tell me the human race is depraved. We're good people. Do you see the correlation? It's not how we feel. And it's not how we look. The diagnosis is not based on feelings. It's based on what Christ teaches us. And he's never wrong. These are just some of the words and phrases used to describe man's, all humanity's spiritual state without grace. And understand something about grace. That's God's unsolicited favor. Those who are ordained to eternal life is God's unsolicited favor. Yet this spiritual state is attributed to man himself, not any other entity. Human beings are self-polluted. Again, don't look for a feeling. Don't look for a feeling. The truth of who we are is in Scripture. I think James calls it the mirror of the word. When it comes to unbelief, the Bible clearly teaches that man cannot believe. And there's a reason. He chooses not to believe. No man says, I believe. I would believe if you helped me. All human beings say, I will not believe. Like this. When Stephen preached about their stiff-necked hearts, that they crucified their Lord and glory, Jesus Christ, you know what they did? It says they stopped up their ears. They couldn't bear to hear the words that Stephen said. A scathing indictment against their human nature. They closed up their ears and they picked up stones and they stoned them to death. It was unbearable to hear the indictment. Theoretically, all human beings can respond to the gospel. It's their responsibility. If you hear, you have to respond. But theologically, we get a little insight. Man's not looking for a God. 
Why would you look for God if you think you're God yourself? Human beings theoretically can, but theologically they will never. They will never relinquish the role that you too can be like God. Remember the first lie? Satan told him, eat, you'll be like God. That was it. That was the lie that broke Eve and she reached out and immediately gave to Adam. Mankind's been playing that card ever since and he's not interested in relinquishing his self-role as God Almighty. So bad is this spiritual condition that even born-again believers who have the clear teachings of scriptures cannot even entertain the diagnosis like our introduction tonight. It's not that bad. It can't be that bad. Mankind is not that bad. There's something good in man. There's nothing good in man when it comes spiritually. But as we go through the scriptures, we begin to see everywhere from Genesis to Revelation, we see man's depravity and God's election onto eternal life. Personally, for me, when I first started entertaining this thought and I came across this understanding of Christ, I, I, I was petrified. I remember reading it. I was, I was home reading my theology and drinking a cup of coffee. And I remember reading this and I remember taking the book and putting it down and I said, I'll never read that book again. I, honestly, I was angry. But something said I had to read. I remember going back and reading it. And within a couple of hours, tears were running down my face as I realized how much God genuinely loved me. Amen. And I did not deserve it. That's right. yeah. What I was fighting with, listen, please listen to me. What I was fighting with and what I was scared about wasn't about humanity's depravity. It was my own. I had to come and fully submit to the diagnosis without God's grace I deserve nothing but eternal hell. That was the problem. The problem wasn't everybody else. The problem was I couldn't admit it. I was that person. I remember a preacher named Charles Spurgeon said it this way, talking about this doctrine. If God hadn't chosen me, I do not believe I would have ever chosen him. So why are we here today as Christians? Did you have an epiphany all on your own one day? Did you come to the conclusion that you were spiritually sick and that you were going to search the world for a savior? Or one day did you just come to Christ and realize that I needed to be saved? That was God doing that. God did that. When I came to church, I shared it two weeks ago, last week. My wife was going to a new church. I know my sister-in-law got born again. What did that mean? I don't know. Everybody's going to a church that sings and waves flags. I was like, all right, I'm in. Why, why not? You know, it's better than the mass. So I'll, you know, I'll follow this. And I remember going, and for the first time in my life, I remember feeling the presence of God. And the tears were running down my face. I didn't come to Jesus Christ because I was totally depraved. 
I came to Jesus Christ because I was loved by God. He opened up my eyes to my genuine spiritual condition that I would have never known if he didn't move upon my heart. The veil came off on that day and I recognized a full diagnosis that I was a lost sinner doomed to eternal death by a just God. But because he loved me and chose me in Christ before the foundations of the world, I'm saved. I cannot take, nor anybody in this room can take any credit whatsoever for being saved. There's one thing you bring to salvation. It's your sin. That's it. You don't bring anything else. You bring dirty laundry and ask Christ to clean it. That's it. I was talking to somebody about this doctrine and an atheist, good friend of mine, he was vehemently disagreeing with me. I said, but you don't even believe in God. But he has his philosophy classes and he, he was fighting me on it, but I said, I want you to know something. Hearing it is hard, but nothing has made me love all human beings more than the understanding of this doctrine. I am a debtor to Jesus Christ. I'm a debtor to every other human being that walks in the face of the earth, black or white, male or female, rich or poor, whether you like me or don't like me, I have to serve you. Because if not for God's grace, I too would still be lost. That's it. Nothing has changed me on the inside more than the understanding that God chose me before the foundations of the world to be saved. He saved me from my say, can you say it to yourself? God saved you from your think about it. He saved you from yourself. It's this doctrine that has squeezed the last ounce of pride out of this arrogant human being. I do not, and you do not have a leg to stand on. Do you know you don't have one... How can I say? You and I don't have one right to be angry with another human being. You don't have one right to be resentful towards another human being. You don't have one right to have a bad opinion about another human being. Because if it's not for the grace of God, you'd be lost for eternity. This is where doctrine meets, the rubber meets the road. This is how you live it out. When you understand this, when you do that, you're a broken human being. And all you can say is, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. I'll do anything according to your will. That's it. When it comes to understanding this word, let me teach you something, what the Bible teaches us. Ordained. It actually means to station someone, to post someone, to designate and prearrange to appoint somebody to a task. It's a military term. 
and a leader would appoint or ordain someone to be in a position on a battlefield. You don't volunteer. You're self-volunteered. It always means to preordain something in advance, to prearrange in advance. It never carries with it the meaning that God saw something in us. Many like to believe, well, they saw God ordained because he saw you were going to believe. We believe because God ordained. We're not ordained because God saw we were going to believe. The reason's clear. If God doesn't prearrange, then no one would ever believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins. That's the diagnosis the Bible gives. That's how bad this diagnosis is. We're so steeped in selfishness of sin. We're so far away from God. We're so dead. We're so blinded that even if Jesus Christ was to walk in and heal people in the middle of our sermons, in the middle of our synagogue, in the middle of our Christian worship, if we were not ordained to eternal life, we would never believe. And the whole Bible is clear. He came to his own, and his own received him not. The scope of election is found in this one verse of scripture. Listen, as many were appointed to eternal life believed. Can you put that up there? Verse 48, second half. It might be hard to get that up. As many were appointed to eternal life believed. Do you understand something about this? Can you see that second part of the sentence? And as many were appointed to eternal life, appointed, appointed, prearranged, designated to eternal life. Do you understand that in that one verse, in that one sentence, you have eternity past, that's when it was preordained, and eternity future, eternal life. All right there. That's the whole scope of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the God of the schoolmen, not the God of... The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in eternity past has ordained certain sinners that would never come to Him no matter what miracles they did in front of them. If He heals the sick, if He heals the leper, if He raises the dead, if He calls Lazarus out every day of the week, they would never, ever believe. So God, in an act of grace eternal, designated and separated certain people, men and women, Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich and poor, to actually hear and actually repent and believe. That's what it means. But so severe is the diagnosis that many Christians even cringe at the thought of it, I will not back down. But I accept all Christians. 
It took me a while to understand this and accept this diagnosis. And I never want to forget. I never want you to forget you leave here today. It's a diagnosis of our spiritual condition. Eternity past to eternity future. God can do nothing less. Almighty, omnipotent God, all-wise, all-powerful God, in creating and seeing the fall of man into sin and the power of Satan over man, had to do something drastic, and this is what he's done. He's chosen us. Understand something. And this is where God's providence and coming to our text and coming to our life today. Everyone who God's ordained will be saved. Those who are ordained are never in any danger of never being saved. I know people in this room. I know people on their way to murder someone and and they got saved. They weren't looking for God. They didn't believe in God. But they were ordained to eternal life. So God just showed up and said, no, no, you won't do that. I've ordained you to eternal life. I know drug addicts that were so bound in addiction that all they did was sit here with no teeth, 90 pounds, hair falling out of their head, 25 years of daily crack use. They came in, they heard the preaching of Jesus Christ, they left and never again picked up a drug to this day. They were ordained to eternal life. Just by hearing about Jesus. Are you with me? That's the power of Christ. Our text tonight and God's election, his providence, this good news. Please understand something. Last week I started off, can you remember when you were saved? Can you remember? Can you remember when you said, Jesus, be my Lord, I need you? You you felt this sense of desperation for God and you you cried out. Maybe it was in a service. Maybe it was on a couch. Maybe it was in a... It could have been anywhere. One of my best friends... An evangelist, he loves the Lord. You know where we got saved? In a strip club. He was following this one stripper from bar to bar. And she looked at him and says, what you need is Jesus, not me. He got saved, came to church, and never left Christ again. Ever. Because he was all... Ordained to eternal life. When you got saved, did you think you just, well, I've got nothing better to do today, I'm going to go get saved. (laughs) How about this one? You know something? I'm really feeling like a rotten sinner. I'm tired of breaking all God's commandments. I'm going to go get saved. Wasn't there something just, you don't even know how you got there. 
But once you got there, you felt God speaking to you. I remember hearing that message, you need to be saved. I felt like out of 300 people, I was the only one in the room God was speaking to. I was like, God was speaking to Brian Martin specifically, only to myself. And I had to run out of my seat and say, I need to be saved. Because I was ordained to eternal life. Last week I spoke about how Paul got to this church and preached. For you who weren't here, Paul was on a missionary trip. He had no intention on going to this geographical location. But he came down with malaria. It attacked his eyes. And the only place he could really find healing was to go into the high mountainous region where it was cooler, where he can convalesce. Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 18. He says, it was a sickness that brought me here. And then, even though he was sick, as a good Jew, he went to the synagogue. And while he was sitting in the synagogue, they asked him if he had an encouraging word to preach. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, you got an encouraging word? Oh yeah, by the way, let me tell you about everything. And he preached. Guess who didn't believe? The Jews. The Jews didn't believe. Most of them. But guess who believed? The Gentiles. He came to his own. His own received him not. But those who were appointed to eternal life, they didn't just believe, they rejoiced in the gospel. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God orchestrated everything. God ordained these people before the foundations of the world. They were living in the high mountainous region of southern Turkey. No roads went to this place. You had to go through cracks and crevices to find this town. God made sure his sick apostle had to convalesce on this day in this synagogue, in this region. And when he preached, guess what? All those God who ordained by name before the foundations of the world happened to be there that day. Isn't that nice? That's the love of God. That's a love that saves. That's a love that comes in to seek and to save those who are lost. That's a love that's in, you can't conquer that love. That's a love that God says, I will save you. His name is Jesus and he shall save his people from what? Their sins. Let me close with these words. Could you put a verse... Yeah, that's good. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is history. This is Luke. Luke is an historian. And he's writing about history here. He says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. That was enough. That's history. But he puts that next sentence in there. Luke. This is an observation from Luke. Don't miss this. Luke puts in there, and as many were appointed to eternal life, they believed. Why did he put that in there? What? I'll tell you what. Thanks for asking. 
Luke was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke was a good friend of Paul. Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a physician. Luke was an intelligent man. Probably got converted under the Apostle Paul. And as he traveled with Paul, and he went from synagogue to synagogue, from place to place, and he saw Paul be rejected constantly, stoned. They stoned, Jews stoned Paul to death and left him for dead. They flogged him five times. They whipped him three times. Luke had to say, why are they not believing? And then Paul had to take him to the scriptures and teach him the doctrine of election. And that's why Luke can put all those who are appointed to eternal life believed. I was speaking to a gentleman one day, and I've had this conversation many times. Good man, good Christian man. He was in his 80s. I met him on a golf course. I was hitting balls. He was hitting balls. And after about a minute, he started witnessing to me. I loved it. I thought maybe it was 70. I found out I was like 81 years old. He was witnessing to me. I didn't tell him I was a pastor. I was enjoying it. I thought maybe I could save again. What I was enjoying at this man's zeal for Christ. He got saved in the Korean War. And he faithfully served God. Became an ordained minister. Became an elder of a church. He served Christ in many, many locations throughout his life. And he finds himself upstate where my family is. And I'm sending half of my family over there whenever I can. And he's talking to me. He goes, but I still, why don't people believe? a Christian for almost 60 years, a Bible student for most of his life. And I just sat there and I didn't tell him the answer's in the Bible. Because you've got to be ordained to eternal life. Now, saying all that, many Christians don't believe this. They believe in election because the Bible teaches it. They believe in ordained. But they believe that God saw their faith and that they would believe. I like that. But it's wrong. The Bible never says anywhere that God saw something and chose us. At all. Matter of fact, in Titus 3.5, it says you have received regeneration not because of works, but because of grace. The Bible is adamant, adamant, that we understand, whether we accept it or not, I leave that between you, God, and the scriptures. We do not force feed anybody this. Are you with me? I'm preaching 10 years in this church. We force feed nobody. But when we come to the exposition of scripture, and I'm going through the book of Acts, over a year and a half now. And when the Bible points it out, we will not gloss over it for the sake of men's conscience. You are a Christian. You have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God has opened up our minds to understand, understand the scriptures. I encourage you to look into it. Don't go by the feeling. 
Remember the diagnosis that me and my wife had? The feeling said this can't be. We're very healthy people. There's nothing wrong here. The scriptures have to teach us. So I encourage you in this. Look into it. Spend some time. If you have questions, you can ask me and sit down with me anytime. Uh, there's many people in this church that fought me tooth and nail on this who now see the clarity of it and how it glorifies God. And uh, so I want to be very respectful over here. Remember this. We're very, very respectful when it comes to this. There's room for dialogue. There's even some room for disagreement as we talk through these things. But understand something. You cannot read a book of the New Testament and not see election in it. You can't see it. It's in every book but one. Philemon. It's the only one. Throughout the whole New Testament, you see God's elect, God's chosen. I mean, I'm not here to try to, to prove it. I'm trying to here to explain it. Do you understand the difference? I'm not trying to convert anybody to it. I love you. You're God's people. I will always love you. I'll have deep fellowship with you. I'll have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about theology. God loves that. Let's ask why. How can this be? What about? I love it. Let's talk about it. You know why? The Bible is not shy of answers. Let's respect one another on this position. Let's not force feed people. Let's not think anybody's above or below anybody else because they don't, they don't adhere to this or they don't see it as clearly. Maybe they have questions. This is not a, uh, what's that word? What's the phrase? I'm it's not a deal breaker at all. This is not an essential to being saved or being a Christian. It's something that Luke asked, how come they don't believe? Father, the mystery of being ordained to eternal life is in your heart. We don't understand, God. We do know that we're so sick with sin that you had to do a special work of grace in our hearts to open up our eyes. And Father God, we leave it to you. I love your people. I love your word. I love your doctrines, Father God. But remember, God, we're still just dust. We don't see things clearly. We're still looking as in a mirror, Father God. Help us, God. Help us to understand this wonderful God-ordained doctrine.